Today's episode is proudly sponsored by the Rising Tide Mastermind. The Rising Tide Mastermind is one of my favorite things that I look forward to each and every week because I get to see people that have my best interest in mind. I know this because I have their best interest in mind. And when you get people together in a room like that, you can just imagine how people want to help other people. If this sounds like something you want to learn more about, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind. Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore, your host for the Scaling Up H2O podcast. And Nation, if there is a message that I try to bring to you each and every week, is that we are always learning. We're always getting better. And it is difficult to take the first step in that learning. But when we do take that first step, watch out because what happens next is an explosion for an opportunity. So Nation, think about something that you want to do And maybe it's intimidating because you don't know all the hows around whatever it is that you want to do. And that is a paralyzing thought. And that thought will not allow you to ever get to the next step. And I know there are all sorts of personality and temperament types out there. And some temperaments are more engaged to taking that challenge to go to the next step and others are a little bit more apprehensive. But just think, you can't go any further without taking that first step and you haven't done it anyway, so what do you have to lose? So it's my hope that you are inspired on whatever it is that you want to do, what you want to try, that you decide to take that first step today because that first step is the hardest and I promised each and every step after that become a little bit easier, but they'll never come if that first step doesn't come first. After all, that's why they call it the first step. And Nation, if you need any sort of encouragement, and I'm not saying that I am the best podcast host out there, but I can tell you I am the best podcast host that Trace Blackmore has ever been right now at this very moment because I took that first step. And I think this podcast is such a great example of what I'm talking about here because when somebody told me I needed to start a podcast, I stalled for years, several years. And it wasn't until I decided that I was going to break through the fear of what I didn't know. And as you've heard me say on this show many times, all the things I didn't know I didn't know, 
I just decided to start. And that allowed me to learn so much because now I changed my point of view as a spectator to somebody that was immersed in that topic. And that changed everything. And for all of you that started with episode one, you heard the incremental changes. You've seen the things that we do to connect with the Scaling Up Nation, with all the listeners of this podcast that we didn't even know to do in the beginning. You saw it was just me in the beginning, and now we have a staff of four that help us put on this podcast each and every week. We are going to conventions about podcasts. We are taking courses about podcasts. We are trying things that are working very well, and we are trying things that aren't working well, and we know we either need to redefine them or stop them altogether and put our actions towards something that is working. All of this is possible because we took the first step. Because I got over my fear. Because I didn't even know what a podcast was not too terribly long ago. And because I decided to take that first step, we have discovered, I have discovered, that I love doing this podcast. Imagine that. One of my favorite things to do out of everything that I do is to bring this podcast to you. And it wasn't that long ago that I didn't even know what a podcast was. It wasn't that long ago that I had no idea how to put on a podcast. And it wasn't that long ago that I took that first step. But it was the hardest step. And the second step was a little bit easier. Third step, even easier than that. And I don't know what thousand, 10,000 million step we're on now, but we're always taking the next step to make things better. And I hope you use this podcast to inspire you to take the first step on whatever it is that you need to step on. Scaling Up Nation, as you know, we can only pack so much within a podcast, and there's always so much more for us to explore when we sign off on each podcast. Well, today, we are bringing a guest back to explore a topic that has been so beneficial to me, my team, and all the teams that I work with. Here's today's interview. My lab partner is returning guest, Tim Cooper, where we are going to talk even more on the six types of working genius. Tim, welcome back. Thanks for having me again, Trace. I know you and I get to connect regularly and talk about working genius, but it's fun to do it again on the podcast. Can you believe it was July of last year that we first talked about this? That's crazy. And I mean, I was super excited about it then. But now it's more informed, I guess you would say, where it's like I've seen what this tool can do for teams over and over again. So I'm excited to reconnect and talk about it. Can't believe it's been that long, though. 
I know it's unreal. And in that almost year, I have now had so much firsthand experience with the six types of working genius. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how you even helped me solidify that (laughs) and and how I've learned so much more. So, but before we get there, uh, what have you been up to since our last air date? Last July, I was kind of newer into my consulting and, you know, I, I had I had been consulting for a little bit and now it feels like a year and a half in, there's a lot more stories, right? There's a lot more experiences of getting to work with teams and, and helping teams. I, I've been saying this a lot recently. I feel like the work I do is help teams kind of get over the invisible walls that they bump into and don't mm-hmm. realize they're doing so because those invisible walls are the things that are hardest to identify. So working genius is one of those things that makes those walls visible and helps us to understand how to work better with each other, which just makes for a better work environment all the way around. So just been doing that as much as I can. Well, in case somebody did not hear episode 259, can we just talk generally about what the six types of working genius is, are? How do Love you that. say that? I don't know. Don't, I was told there'd be no math or grammar tests. So, well, there um, we go. We'll just go with yeah. that. <laughs> um, so Table Group is a consulting firm that put out the six types of working genius. And I told you this before, but like my eyes rolled when I was sent another assessment. I was like, oh no, I don't want another assessment. Like, please don't give me another assessment. I don't need to hear that I'm an extrovert. I get it. You know, I I can be a lot. Um, And I I don't want to hear that again. So what I didn't know that I needed was an assessment to help me understand why I gravitate towards certain kinds of work and why I am resistant to other kinds of work, why some kinds of work gives me energy, gives me joy, helps me feel fulfilled, and why other kinds of work drains me and really can drain me at a much quicker pace than just about anything else. And that's exactly what the working genius assessment is. It's about the six types of work that people need to do on a regular basis to get productive work done. And when you take the assessment, as you know, you're given two top, your two top ones are called your working geniuses, your two middle are called your working competencies and your two bottom ones, your two lowest scoring ones are called your working frustrations. And this doesn't mean that we can't all do all of the six types, but what it does mean is that we're going to gravitate towards some and they're going to come more naturally to us and give us more energy. And there's going to be some that we avoid more and that drain us quicker. So just a very obviously brief overview of them, but do you want me to go through each of the six? I think that would be great. Yes. Okay, great. So the first one at the very top level, if you think about elevation, this is always helpful to think through the people that maybe get accused of being up in the clouds. We call the wonders, the W, the the genius of wonder. And they're the ones that love to tap into the potential of what's out there. They love to ask the big picture questions on a team. Uh, They can be a little misunderstood because they're constantly asking the, hey, why are we doing this again? And what, what is it about this? Are we on track? Is this the best thing for us to be doing? They're asking that big picture question. And if the rest of the team is focused on movement, they can feel like they're trying to slow everything down, which they're not. They're just trying to help get work done to the best of its potential. That's the genius of wonder. The next is the genius of invention. And they are the people that love their blank page and they love to ideate. They've got ideas for everything, right? They don't even know where their ideas come from, but they love to generate brand new 
novel ideas to solve just about any kind of problem. They work really well, hopefully, with the next one, which is the genius of discernment. And the genius of discernment are the people that love to test the workability of an idea. So they love to ask the questions, not the why big picture questions like the wonder. They like to ask the next level down questions like, hey, have you considered this? Or have you thought about maybe changing this or adding this? You know, what about this? Could we change to make it a little more adaptable to what I think the people need? All of those questions, they're, they're a little different than the questions a wonder asks, but those are the genius of discernment. The next you're very familiar with, the genius of galvanizing, um, they're the ones that love to get the crowd moving. So they know when to inspire or when to push, and they get energy from this. They love to get a response from people and to get people going. They're the best at knowing, hey, these people need to hear uh, you know, an inspirational message or these, you know, these, this group of people needs to really be uh, pushed and, and motivated at this point. So we're going to get them going. The next is the genius of enablement. And those are our people that love to ask, how can I help? I mean, they, they love to ask questions too, like the wonder and the discerners, but their questions are a little more closer to the ground when we're thinking of the elevation. They're like, how can I help this project? What can I do to help get us going or get us over the finish line? They love to think through the impact on relationships. So while all of this is about getting work done, the people with the genius of enablement, they really think about the impact on people. So on a team, when the galvanizer is like, we need to get moving, the enabler is going to respond with either, how can I help? Or have we considered how this is going to impact so-and-so or this group of people? Uh, very relationally oriented in that sense. And then the final one is the genius of tenacity. And these are the people that love to get the project over the finish line to the standard that was agreed upon, right? So they're not just getting stuff finished for the sake of it. They want to cross it off their to-do list, but they want to do it to the level that had been agreed upon. So they can get a lot of stuff done, but they also can get burnt out because they want to get stuff done to that really high standard. So those are the six types. I know you know them, but hopefully for listeners, that's just a brief overview. I think it's a great overview, and it gives us a lot of things to unpack in this conversation. But before we start doing that, I'm betting there's somebody that's driving around right now listening to this podcast, and they're thinking, all that sounds great, but I've got to go to this customer site. I've got to get my test kit out. I've got to do my work. So what does it matter? That's so good. Well, this is you know, we say every job's a six-letter job. So to understand the working genius assessment and to apply it, you almost have to unlearn a little bit of what you've learned from other assessments. So when I go into a room and do a training, one of my first questions I'll ask is, how many of you, this is the first assessment you've ever taken? I've yet to have a hand go up because right. they're, they're like, no, of course I've taken assessments. I've taken too many assessments. But this is about productivity, not about personality. Yes, there's a little bit of personality baked into it. We say it's an 80% productivity tool, 20% personality tool. This is about getting work done. So when, when somebody's showing up to their, their client and, they, and they've got to get their work done, really this is about awareness, right? This is about understanding what kind of work is going to drain you, what kind of work is going to help you feel more fulfilled. But every job is a six-letter job. Every person is a six-letter person. So all of us have to do all of these different functions and tasks. You know, as a consultant, I show up to a client and I'll have to do any one of the six at any given moment. But what I know about myself is that discernment and enablement 
are the things that I love to do the most. And hopefully they're the things that benefit my client the most. So if there's a situation that needs a lot of invention, yeah, I can invent on the spot, but I also know that's not my strong suit. I'm either going to pull somebody else in that can do that better, or I'm going to try to tap into somebody else's invention on the team that I'm serving to try to help solve that problem. So a lot of it really is about awareness. Yes, we still have to do the job. You know, tenacity is my lowest. I still have to check email. I still have to knock things off a to-do list. I don't get a pass at that just because it's my lowest, but it does help me be more aware about when I'm going to have to tap into my frustrations, how long I'm going to spend doing that, and and even my expectations of what I'm going to get out of that. You know, when something's a frustration for us, we tend to shortcut or really shortchange how much work is required to get that stuff done. And so I know that about myself and I surround myself with people that are great at that. So I don't pull those shortcuts often and sacrifice the quality of work. Well, Tom, I'm going to agree with you because tenacity is also my deepest frustration. And I I would either not do it or I would get it done as quickly as possible, which means I was sacrificing qualities. So knowing, just having this language and, and, and knowing what the six types of working genius are, I've now given myself permission that it's okay that I don't enjoy this. I now understand that it's okay that other people do. I don't understand why, but I I give them permission to like something that I don't like. And, And now maybe I can delegate, or if I can't, I now know that it's going to suck energy from me. So let's not do it when I don't have any energy to give. And when can I schedule these tasks when I am just jazzed up? And normally that's after I'm galvanizing. That's after a podcast interview or something. So after this, Tim, I will be going in and doing tenacious work after our interview, (laughs) just so you know. That's so good. And you've earned it, right? Like you're doing the thing that fills you up. So it's like you can go in and do a little bit of that tenacity work and hopefully it doesn't yeah, uh, it doesn't drain you too much after this. Hopefully you're still fired up a couple hours later, but this implies low ego, right? Like mm. if, if I have a really high ego and think, well, I'm just great at everything and I can do everything for the team. Yeah. You're, you're probably not going to get a ton out of a tool that helps you focus on what it is that brings you the most energy and joy. But you know, the people that I work with on a regular basis, really aren't trying to be the superhero. They're just trying to figure out what's the healthiest, most sustainable way to work for the long haul. Yeah, we can do anything in the short term. I mean, I could have a day full of tenacity work and I'm going to be okay. I'm an adult. I'm going to get through it. I might be grumpy when I get home, but I'm going to get through it. But I would not want to set up my career to where that's what I'm relying on more and more. And I think we talked about this last time, but burnout is something that is so common but also so mysterious. People don't understand why they're burning out. And when we're talking about the working genius, the phrase that I always come back to is burnout is not the result of too much work. Burnout is the result of too much of the wrong kind of work. So if you stepped into a role, I mean, you've got all this awareness now, but if you were to, you know, go join a a, a team in corporate America and it was this great job, super high paying and all this stuff, but it was a bunch of tenacity work, You might be great for the first week or two or month. And it doesn't mean you're not high capacity. It's just you would burn out so much faster than somebody that loves that kind of work where they're going to get energy and joy from it. You need to be stepping into a role that allows you to galvanize as much as possible so that you can bring the best to your team and somebody else can bring their best to the team doing that other kind of work that frustrates you. 
I used to be one of these people, and we have a lot of business owners that listen to this podcast. You think you've got to be everything to that team. And to say that you're not able to bring everything translates in our own heads that we're poor leaders. Hmm. So the difference there is, to me, the word is willingness. I'm willing to do anything for the team, right? I'm willing to help serve. Being the leader is not mean that all of my needs are met first or cared for. It's like, no, if if I'm going to be the leader of the team, I'm willing to do anything. But me doing things that drain me fastest is not what's best for the team in the long run. So yeah, I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to do what's required. I'll clean the floors or clean the windows or do whatever I have to do for the team to be successful. But that's not what's best for the team in the long run if I'm playing that role. It's just not what's going to be best. So I, I think there's obviously an implied humility in there of saying, I wish I could be everything to everybody because I want to help serve that way, but I'm not. I'm I'm a human being. I I want to do what's best for the business and what what's best over the long haul is what's healthiest. And that's me tapping into my geniuses and really I, I like the word you said delegating, but delegating to me has always carried a negative connotation like mm-hmm. oh, I hate this, I'm going to give it to you and I'm sorry, you'll probably hate it too, but it's it's actually tapping into other people's geniuses, right? I mean, I know some of the people you work with, they love the things that drive you nuts. And instead of being like, hey, we should all get well-rounded at everything, it's like, no, let me, let, let's have Trace focus on the galvanizing and let's hand off the other stuff that they actually love doing. Like that's a that's a wonderful thing to have happen. So it delegation is not a negative thing. It gets a negative context, but it's actually just tapping into other people's geniuses is what you're describing. And that's where everybody wants to be anyway. They want to be in a place where they're tapping into their geniuses and everybody's feeling like they're coming alive and feeling their best at work. What you just alluded to was probably the biggest revelation that we've had here at our company. I am without a doubt a galvanizer. I've known that forever, but I didn't have a language, a word to tie to it. And I love doing that. And I figured everybody loved doing that. And when I would ask other people to galvanize, normally it wasn't done at the level that I would do it. I would be disappointed. And they felt that they disappointed me. Hmm. Didn't know what to do about it. Couldn't talk about it. Didn't know how to talk about it. Now we've uh, implemented Working Genius. We now have a language around it. And do you know that my high, you know this, my highest is galvanizing, but every one of the people that sit on my leadership team, their worst frustration is all galvanizing. And I felt I was giving them a gift when I said, (laughs) hey, go galvanize this. You'll love it. Right. And they're like, just please do it, right? Like, just you do it. We don't want to do it. Well, that that's one of the things that's helped me with the most is the more successful we are in our career, the more we think good leadership is aligned to our preferences. <laughs> but really, good leadership is understanding how to build the team around you to tap into what they prefer and their geniuses. So galvanizing is third for me. So I like it. I can do it. I don't love it. And I really don't love to have to do it on a regular basis. I can do it in spurts, but discerning and enabling for me 
is something that I can do all day, every day. So I set up my tasks to be more as much discernment and enablement as possible. So even, you know, if you're saying, you know, we've got business leaders and different people listening to the, to the podcast, the, one of the things that I had an executive coach years back, one of the things that he put in really clear language for me is he said, the further you move along in your career, the more that you realize your output is judgment and influence. So Mm. the thing that started you off in your career, your output was, you know, depending on the industry, your output is actually a physical contribution, right? I'm creating spreadsheets, I'm creating trainings, I'm showing up to clients, I'm doing all those things. The further you progress into your career, your output is less tangible and it's more influence. It's judgment and influence. It's like, as the leader of your company, you could influence any area at any point, but really good judgment would be to know when to influence and when to let others lead. So I think this tool is super helpful in knowing for you, it's like, okay, your output is going to be influence and probably galvanizing. Like that's something you should be doing every day because no one else is going to, and the business needs it, right? So knowing that coming in, you don't have to feel guilty. Like, man, I'm galvanizing again. I should let somebody else do it. They're like, please don't. Right. You're like, no, this is my role. I can step into it with confidence and do it every day. And here's the best part that we started with. It brings you joy. It brings you energy. Like on a repeating fashion, that is such a good thing for you to get to tap into your genius over and over and over again. I mean, that's best when you come home, right? We don't just take a paycheck home with us, right? We take we take everything home with us from our job. When you enter back into, you know, your family or your loved ones or anything like that, it's like you want to have spent as much time as possible in your geniuses when you go back to them. And they want you to have spent as much time in your geniuses as possible. And so all that, you know, is required of us is to have that awareness. Well, what are the things that bring me energy and joy? And then hopefully, how can I move you know, what would it look like to spend 10% more of my day in my geniuses, 20% more of the next month, you know, 30% more of the next quarter in my geniuses and less in my frustrations. As we've been working here with the working geniuses, and we also brought it to the Rising Tide Mastermind, we had all of our members take that. And uh, you, of course, came and, and helped us unpack that even more. And I've also had the pleasure of working with a couple of companies with their discovery of the working genius. And I want to unpack the two words that you said. It brings me joy and energy because that's not how most people take the assessment. Normally, people say, these are the things I'm good at and these are the things I stink at. Right. So one of the things you've heard me say this over and over and over what you learn when you take this assessment is this is a ranking, not a rating, right? This is a ranking of the tasks that bring you the most joy and energy down to the ones that bring you the least joy and energy. So you could be, I mean, I work with some very successful executives on big, big companies. They've learned to be good at everything, but that doesn't mean that they're going to get as much energy and joy from everything, right? They're, they're going to still get energy and joy from their geniuses and their frustrations, even if they've learned to be good at them, are still going to drain them quicker than the other things will. So it doesn't mean you can't do them. We say this all the time at the table group, the best leader is a self-aware leader. It's not any one of the letters paired with another one that makes you a great leader. The self-awareness of what you bring to the team and what you hold back from the team or what you withhold the team from 
uh, being able to accomplish is also good. So I would rather a self-aware leader than any leader pairing if I'm going to have somebody leading a team. I I just want to know what do you bring to the table? So you bring galvanizing, great. Now that you're aware of that, you know what you can bring and how to tap into others when other things are required. Something else you taught me was whatever the leader is, multiply that by two. And I find that that multiplier is two at least. Yeah, sometimes it's more, right? Like sometimes it's at least because if we put all of your team on a map and we saw only one galvanizer and a bunch of frustration, we might, you know, we might think, oh, we need to add a few more galvanizers. But your galvanizing and being the leader is plenty for that team. Right. Just because there's a disproportionate weight doesn't mean we have to go fill it up. Right. Because you're the leader and because it's something that you love and it's, it's something that keeps you going. You've got enough galvanizing for that whole team. So you're right. The leader, it's like multiplied by two, maybe four, maybe 10. You know, <laughs> um, I, I found that invention and galvanizing are the ones that have the highest multiplier. Interesting. Yeah. So. If the leader has invention, um, like Pat at the table group is, he's an inventor. He has plenty of invention for that whole company. He has plenty of ideas to keep that whole company running. So he might be at times 10 and you in the galvanizing might be at times 10. But I've worked with leaders where they've got wonder and I'd say it's a times two. It's not a times 10. It's like, yeah, they wonder, but we still need to have other people lean in and wonder and especially discernment. Yes, yes, I would say the leader does multiply it, but you you don't just want the leader being the only one that's carrying the discernment for the team. You know, that's one where if I saw as the leader, you were the only one, I'd be like, hey, we might want to look to add to that. Yeah. And, and I should have mentioned this earlier, but a couple of months ago, you helped certify me as a working genius coach. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Officially too, not like out of my garage. I didn't just like, you know, be like, Hey, come over. I'll certify it. No, we went through the whole, you went through the certification process through the table group. I'm just one of the instructors. And it was fantastic. And I, I want to say there were about 40 other people that were with us. Yeah. And uh, I truly appreciated how you put that together because a lot of things you'll go to, especially when they're remote. We were on a zoom call it's it's the same thing. You're listening to somebody speak and then maybe you do some group work and they're thinking, great, I'm probably going to have to do all the work for these people. And then they're not going to want to present. So since I'm a galvanizer, I'm going to step up and I'm going to do that. And it wasn't that at all. You guys arranged it so that couldn't happen. You had other coaches come in and mentor us during these breakouts uh, so, you know, I have actually changed some of the ways I do my Zoom call because I was so impressed with how you guys awesome. did yours. Yeah. Well, we have we've been able to put I think it's 1500 people have gone through That's the certification awesome. process and we have refined it, refined it, refined it based on the feedback. So the more feedback we get, the more we adapt it and update it. And I went through I, I won't mention which one, but I got certified through a whole nother assessment recently. And it really impacted. I was like, I don't want our participants to feel the way that I'm feeling in this certification mm. process right now. And, and that was it. So it was like, we've designed it to be like, you know, we're, we're four hours one day and four hours the next day on a zoom. Our hope is at the end, everybody gets off and it's like, Oh, that flew by. Yes. That's our hope. Not, 
oh my gosh, there's three hours to go. You know, so it's a lot of, it's, it's the longest I think we teach might be five to seven minutes. Otherwise we are, you know, interacting with everybody or putting you in a breakout room with new and different people or giving you a challenge and you have to figure it out and respond and back and forth and back and forth. And it's like, we want it to be as fast paced as possible, but also rich with content, right? Like we don't want it to be like, oh, what was that for? We really want you to feel like you're getting something because you're certified to go out and now lead other people through it. So my two geniuses are galvanizing and discernment. Actually, I want to unpack that a little bit later with you. Okay. Uh, but that being said, I was only in another breakout session with another galvanizing and discerner. It seemed like every breakout session, there was a good mix of all the geniuses. That hadn't have been a coincidence. You had to have arranged that. We, we try to, when we can, fill out the whole widget. So it spells mm-hmm. widget, right? And so we try to keep everybody. And, and then that's some of the feedback. It's not just the challenge we gave you. It's like, Hey, what was it like working together? Did you notice? Oh yeah. Trace, once we decided Trace was galvanizing us and you know, somebody else was inventing or, Oh, I stepped out of my genius and did this. It's like, we want to unpack that as well. So we try to disperse everybody in there. Can't always do it. I will say that, and you actually spoke on this, but uh, there was another lady that was a GD like I am, and we kind of waited for each other. So we, okay, she's got it. Uh, I'm not going to have it. Okay, I'm going to take it. And she took a back seat. And, And I've noticed that even before I had this language, that I won't step up if somebody else is doing that. If I feel they're doing a good job and and if there's nobody there, I will always step up. Can you speak a little on that? Yeah, I well, and some of that is so for the for the listeners, one of the things that I think helps make sense of the working genius is something we call the responsive and disruptive. Mm-hmm. So the, the W, the D, and the E, the wonder, the discernment, and the enablement, we call the responsive geniuses. The invention, the galvanizing, and the tenacity, we call the disruptive geniuses. And those are neutral terms. Those aren't like, you know, passive and aggressive. Those aren't, that's not what we mean. It's just the responsive ones like something to respond to, and they like to kind of wait and see how things are going, or they like to ask questions. The disruptive geniuses you know, I always say we put a little exclamation point next to them because they primarily lead with passion, energy, and excitement. Well, you have one of each. You have a responsive discernment and a disruptive galvanizing. So I think you kind of sway to whatever Mm -hmm. is required in the moment. So you're you're using your discernment to go, okay, they're stepping up, they're galvanizing, I can sit back. Whereas if you were galvanizing in tenacity to disruptive ones, that might be something that would have to be more of a learned behavior over time. Whereas for you, I think it's more of a natural behavior that you've seen yourself adapt into. But you'll disrupt if that's what the situation needs, but you'll also respond and ask questions if that's what the situation needs. I love the punctuation that you use with that, the question mark and the exclamation. Yes. I, I can't say the term. Ex, say it for exclamation me. Exclamation point. Exclamation Thank point. you. <laughs> well, and that's what I'll do when I'm with teams. You know, I'm super low tech. I use paper and I'm drawing things out. And when I'm drawing out the widget next to the W, D, and E, I will write a question mark. And I will say, because 
their primary tool for getting stuff done is to ask questions. And next to the I, G, and T, I will write the exclamation point uh, because that's their primary tool for helping get work done. It doesn't mean that they can't ask questions. They obviously do. But it's just the primary tool that people use. So wonder questions, kind of like I said before, are different than enablement questions and they're different than discernment questions. And the more familiar you get with the tool, the more you can hear those questions and I call that out when I'm with teams. I'll be like, oh, that's a great wonder question. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, that's great tenacity to help us get this over the finish line. Or, hey, Trace, way to galvanize us. We weren't, we didn't know where we were going and you totally galvanized us to go to the next place. Because this is not inventing something. Uh, Pat will say he didn't invent this tool. He feels more like an archaeologist that uncovered this tool. You've said this a couple times already today. You were like, I already had this. I just didn't have the language around it. You know, it's like, you've been a galvanizer your whole life. We just didn't have the language to put it together in the six types like we do now. That language has helped my team so much. As you know, any team has issues and issues can come in all shapes, all colors, all sizes. And what we have started doing now is we do an issue solving track and we've added the working genius to it. And we will say... Why is this an issue? Okay, well, why is that an issue? Why is that an issue? And then finally, when we get down to the point where we feel we've got the core issue, not just talking about a symptom, we'll say, where is that issue in the six processes of work? And I tell you, that question, when we answer that, almost immediately, we can see what the problem is. And normally, it's we've skipped one of the previous steps. It has been a game changer. This, to me, I love that so much. I get chills just thinking about that because I've seen, you know, I've seen teams uh, draw on the whiteboard the widget and they'll be like, okay, let's talk about whatever project we're on. Okay, we're a little stuck on this. Well, how did we do in wonder? How did we do here? How did we, oh, I think we skipped the discernment stage because we were so excited to get going that we really didn't test the workability of this idea before we move forward. And you've heard me say this, but when you skip a stage, you skip people. And the more you skip people at work, the more they feel skipped at work, right? And nobody wants to feel skipped over at work. And people don't leave jobs, right? Because the strategy's off or the tech isn't as good as it is somewhere else. Like they leave jobs for those emotional reasons of, I feel skipped over. You know, I feel like the workplace is too confusing or I don't know what my role is or I don't know how to feel successful. And well-meaning people and teams can skip over people just because they don't understand where they are in relation to the six types of working genius. So it's not even like, oh, we're skipping them because we don't like them or their contribution. It's like, oh, I didn't realize enablement was a necessary step in this process. I didn't mean to be skipping over you. And they left and we're surprised they left. But this helps, like I said, very at the very, very beginning, this helps make the invisible walls more visible that we're running into or we're skipping over or we're neglecting and not giving the appropriate amount of time to. Well, the funny thing when we first started this was almost every single issue we uncovered, we were skipping galvanizing. And I thought that if I galvanized, I was micromanaging because that was something that I loved to do. And this, again, gave us a language. It gave me permission that my team wants me to galvanize, but I also knew I didn't need to turn every meeting into a galvanizing meeting. Yes. So there's a couple misconceptions with 
I think with invention and with galvanizing, but the one with galvanizing that you just stated is huge is just because I'm inspiring and pushing, you know, doesn't mean I now want to take it and run with it the rest of the way. But that's the misconception is like, oh, he's micromanaging. He must want to do it all on his own. He's like, no, I'm just, I'm trying to push like in, in the nicest way I'm trying to push or I'm trying to inspire. That doesn't mean I want to take it and run with it. And it's the same thing with invention. Sometimes it'll be like, I want to borrow your invention, but that doesn't mean just because you had the idea that you want to run with it all the way down over the finish line. I've been in the room when somebody with a, you know, a great genius of discernment is, I don't like this expression, but it can feel like it, poking holes in the idea. I like tests the workability of, you know, I, I think of it more like the engineer testing the thing than it is tearing it down or destroying it. But I've seen the inventor look at the discerner and be like, okay, if you don't like it, well, what's your idea? And they're like, that's not what I have. You know, like for me, invention and tenacity are my lowest. So I love to test the workability idea. I rarely, if ever, have a brand new idea on my own. So there's some misconceptions sometimes like, uh, but really this is about working well together as a team in a repeatable fashion and doing it over and over and over again in that healthy way. What's some advice you have as a discerner to make sure you're discerning respectfully and you don't get that automatic reply, well, you don't like my idea? Right. Just because you like to test the workability of an idea doesn't mean we're always at the place of the work where we need to be testing the idea. Nothing can kill a brainstorm like testing an idea too early. So sometimes it's like, hey, let's just be honest about calling out where we are and I like to say this all the time because galvanizing is my third, it can come out in how I discern. So I'll be doing something with a team and I work very closely with other principal consultants. Um, and so I'll be working with another consultant and we'll be trying to figure out what to do next. And I will see from their face that they think I'm trying to galvanize them. And I will stop and say, hey, I'm not galvanizing you. I'm really just trying to discern this. And they're like, oh, great. Well, now they feel the freedom to just go back and forth with me. But I can tell because my energy, you know, you think about that exclamation point, my energy is rising. My excitement is rising. It feels like I'm inspiring you. But I'm like, yeah, that's just how I discern. I, I'm really not trying to galvanize you. You'll know when I'm trying to galvanize you. But I think calling out what you're doing is so helpful. So even if I have to, you know, like, even with my wife or with the team that I work with, I'll be like, Hey, I've got to do some tenacity now. Just let me get through it. Right. Like, let me just do it. Let me just get through it. You know, you're not going to get the best out of me. I'm probably gonna be grumpy afterwards, but let me just do it. Just announcing what we're doing allows us to know how to respond to people better at all six, not just discernment. The discernment one, I think that's super helpful because if you're delivering an inspiring message or pushing us, we kind of know you're galvanizing. If you're coming up with new ideas, we know you're inventing. But I think it's helpful to call out, hey, I'm just wondering right now. I'm I'm really just wondering or I'm just discerning. I'm just I'm not trying to decide. I'm not I'm not certain this is the way to go. I'm I'm just discerning right now. You just mentioned the third genius and I know you've coached me quite a bit on this because on our team we have two wonder inventions. Mm -hmm. And they come at issues very differently. They have discussions very differently. They ask questions very differently. And I was telling you about that. I was wondering, maybe the assessment was wrong. And you said, well, wait a second. What is their third genius? 
One is a galvanizer, one is an enabler, and you can definitely see that's where everything's pulling through. Yeah, the the difference between a WIE and a WIG is so different because, you know, you would think back to our simple expression of question marks and exclamation points, one of them has two exclamation points in their top three, and one of them has two question marks in their top three. So it it very much changes how they show up, how they try to get the work done, um, even though their pairings match. But that that speaks more to what we were talking about before is it's a ranking, not a rating. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like for me, I'm a DE, G is my third. I would show up very differently if any of those other ones were my third. I've been around some DETs, some people where tenacity is their third. I mean, they, we, we couldn't be more different, right? You know, I always say tenacity is my lowest. And if we created six more working geniuses, tenacity would still be my lowest. So <laughs> there, <laughs> I think I'm right there with no, you. Yeah. There's no assessment. There's no function where that gets moved up in the rankings at all. So a DET where that's their third, they're going to be so different than me where I'm a DEG. That third's a really big deal. So my three galvanizing discernment invention. However, I've taken the assessment a couple of times and depending on how I think I answer one question, Mm -hmm. I either move from a D or an I. And I was very confused until you all came out with the pairings. So I was hoping we could talk a little bit about that. When I read the descriptions of the pairings, I was like, okay, one of these sounds a lot more like me than the other. But the real telltale was when I read them to my team and they started laughing at me. And they're like, are you kidding? You are without a doubt the pairing GD. That is so good. I use the pairings because this one... Everybody, and I'm sure you've seen this, but everybody wants to talk about their geniuses, right? I mean, that is, it's just the thing that most people love. They're like, I want to talk about my parent, like my geniuses. And that's the thing that they focus in on. There is just as much goodness, I guess you would say, in talking about your frustrations Mm -hmm. for the team as there is the geniuses, like talking about those so what are your bottom two? So My your bottom top two, two is the GD, right? GD. Which we call the intuitive activator, which mm-hmm. is absolutely you. <laughs> and what are your bottom two? So uh, T is my my lowest, my biggest frustration, followed by W. Okay. So that's what we call the careful implementer. So the exact same activity that you did for your geniuses to get the teammates laughing and all that stuff, I do the same thing with the frustrations. So I'd ask your team, we'd read the careful implementer. So that's a thorough, practical, and careful contributor, a unique combination of steady reliability and quiet depth. And it's like, okay, I don't think anybody's ever described you as that, right? Like that, (laughs) that's the joke is like, okay, you know, here's what I bring. It's like, you bring that combo of galvanizing and discernment. But this is the same thing. For me, my two frustrations are I and T, which is the methodical architect. And I was like, nobody has accused me of either of those ever. You know, I've never been methodical or nobody's ever called me to be like, hey, let's have Tim structure that thing for us. That's never happened in all my life. So and probably never will. Um, but I use the pairings to help me lock in my geniuses. But I also use the pairings to help me lock in my frustrations because the team needs to know these are the areas that you're most likely going to shortcut or shortchange. It's just going to happen. Doesn't make you a bad leader. 
doesn't make you a bad teammate. It just helps the team know how to best look out for your blind spots. And, you know, under stress, we're going to do this more and more. So it's such helpful language to be able to know that, you know, everybody wants to talk about their geniuses. I encourage teams to talk about their frustrations. And that really helps the team get vulnerable with each other, which helps us build the best kind of trust. That's great advice. Let's talk about the competencies for a second. Okay. So we talked about the geniuses. We talked about the frustrations. The stealth joy killer. Oh, there, we there we the go. There we go. Stealth well, joy killer. I mean, that's a great setup because there are so many people that are out there and they become not just good, but skilled at their competencies and they're in burnout every day, but now they're thinking, this is my job. I've created this cage that I'm in. So, oh, great. I now know it's a competency, but what do I do? Yeah. So one, I have a lot of empathy and sympathy for that because I have worked with some people that have gotten emotional when they're like, it is a shame that I have gotten so good at my competencies because they aren't the things that bring me joy. And I thought with the next promotion and the next promotion, I would experience joy or I would experience fulfillment. And they're like, I'm just burnt out is what I am. And so one, I don't think any rash decisions are really good decisions, but I, I would rather at the end of my career have done what I need to do to be putting myself in a place where I'm experiencing the most joy and the most fulfillment possible. Not looking back on my career, making sure that I climbed the ladder and I, got to this level and I got this job and sacrificed all the things that were most important to my family and to me, I would rather look back on my career and know I spent the most time in that area of joint fulfillment. So while that can be really tough, if your resume is built around your working competencies, you could have built up the perfect resume to get a job that you will not enjoy. Um, that can be a hard place to be, but I would start taking baby steps I always say, you know, we, we have to take baby steps towards what's healthy. We Health is a de- is a condition, not a destination. So we're never going to get there, but we can be moving in the direction of it starting now. So if you find yourself in a place where your career is built around your competencies, maybe, you know, I, I didn't have this language, but I went through the same process and it was a two year journey to change my career to be more adaptive to what my working geniuses are. And now I'm in a place that I'm so glad a couple years ago that I started down that path. I had no idea where I was headed, but I started down that path of committing to working more in my geniuses, which led to the career that I'm in now. I had no idea where I was going when I started on that path, but I didn't, I didn't completely change jobs overnight, right? I just took baby steps towards this and slowly but surely, the more I was operating in my genius, the more opportunities came within for me to operate in my genius. This podcast's executive producer, Corinne Drury, who you know very well, I was really, really fascinated with something she recently said. We're redoing some of our systems, how we're reporting metrics, making sure that the podcast can be all that it can be. And I know that uh, tenacity is not one of the things that that she enjoys. Well, she's got it in her competency, but I mean, she was just knocking this stuff out and enjoying it. And I asked her that question and she said, really, you see that as tenacious? I, I, I'm inventing right now. So let's speak to that for a second. Can you redefine the work that you're doing so it fits your genius? 
Yes. So I have a silly story about this, um, but my wife has tenacity uh, and thank goodness because our <laughs> bills are paid, the lights stay on, the internet's working right now for us to do this. Otherwise, we'd be in trouble. Thankfully, she's got tenacity. So some weekends, we will have a list of things that we need to get through. And recently, we she was like, hey, we got a new ceiling fan for my daughter's room. Now, this is a combination of all sorts of tenacity, right? This is electrical. This is hardware. I mean, this is this is everything I'm bad at. So we're doing this project together, and I get extra frustrated when I'm working in my frustrations and I experience a speed bump. You know, I experience a setback. I mean, this is like doubly awful. Whereas in my geniuses, I experience a setback and we just keep going. It doesn't, it's fine. So we finally get the ceiling fan done. And, you know, my daughter, I have three sons, one daughter. My daughter comes into the room and she loves it. She's like, dad, thank you so much for that. And all of a sudden this tenacity project, my wife felt great. She had checked it off the list. She was like, this is great. Let's keep moving. I was like dreading it. I didn't want to move to what's next. But my daughter came in and loved it and it moved to an enablement project. And three mm. hours later, she was like, dad, I love the one you picked out. I'm so grateful. Like, thank you for doing this for me. And I was like, it was great. I loved it. I'm so happy to help because it tapped into my genius. Now, in the moment, it felt like tenacity work. But I wished at the beginning I had reframed it into this enablement work. Like, I'm doing this for my daughter. I could have pushed through anything because it would have felt like enablement work, not tenacity work. So I've actually used that more and more. So when I have a list of tenacity work, I can stop and think about who am I doing this for? And it reframes the whole thing for me. Well, let's talk about that because we've been talking about teams for business. Mm -hmm. How do we use this better with our families? Oof. I mean, that's a, it's a great question. And I would venture to say that, I mean, I changed careers using some of this language and have changed jobs. And I would still say this has probably impacted my family more than it has my work. Again, back to my wife. My wife's a WT, uh, which are your frustrations, but that is her geniuses. And <laughs> I'm the DE right in the middle. And we've been married 22 years. And I would say for a large part of that, we were trying to make each other develop skills within our geniuses. We thought if we became more like each other, that would be better. But now what we do is try to tap into each other's geniuses instead of trying to make us more like the other person. So my wife, thankfully, at times will say, hey, is there anything you need my tenacity on? And there is always a yes. So there is always a, a list of things that I'm not doing that I should be doing. And she can help me with that. And she can come to me and be like, hey, with our kids, I need you to really, you know, lean in and discern and ask them some questions about this. You're so much better at this part than I am. And it's like, great, I'm, I'm happy to help. I want to lean in and be used in that area. But because there's only two of us, we naturally have, we both are really like galvanizing is a frustration for her. For me, it's only a competency and it's really hard to galvanize the kids. And we have four kids. We need to do a lot of galvanizing. But the thing that's happened is we are so much kinder to each other when one of us has to galvanize. So it'll be like, hey, she'll say, I mean, we'll just use that language. She's like, hey, thanks for galvanizing them to get them to do their chores. And I was like, no problem. I'm exhausted. You know, like it, it wiped me out having to do it, but I'm happy to do it. We're so much kinder when we have to tap into those instead of just expecting her to go do the things I hate. It's like, I'm so much more thankful when she does the thing that I don't like doing because she doesn't like doing it either. So we lean into each other for our geniuses, but I feel like we're kinder to each other in our competencies and frustrations. 
That's so huge. The divorce rate in this country is so high and people say, well, we had nothing in common. Right. That's, that's a great start. You know, like <laughs> that's a great start. You could, you could actually get a lot of work done, but you know, we got into some negative habits of, well, she feels like she's doing all the work and it's like, oh, I'm happy to help. I'll do anything. I'm just never going to create the list. I'm never going to operate with the genius of tenacity. So it's like, great, I'm willing to help. The enablement genius is like, how can I help? I want to help. But there were times where she was really frustrated because I'm not coming up with the list and knocking that stuff off the list. The more we've leaned into this, it's like, oh, I'm I'm going to do these things and I'm going to carry this stuff and then she's going to do this. We've been able to basically fill out our team without adding people. <laughs> we filled out our team of two and been able to tap into each other much better and just feel like this has helped our marriage immensely. You and I both know Kathleen Edelman, and uh, I said this, you heard that. She's been on the podcast numerous times. She's taught me so much about my language, how I hear language, how I speak language, making sure that I am making my words a gift that I'm giving to the other person. And having that tool on how to speak with people together with how we get work done that has been such an amazing pairing and it has changed so many relationships for the better in my life. That's so good. Well, and especially, I mean, if you're leading with an exclamation point, right. And that's you, you're leading with that. That can be misinterpreted, right. That can, you're speaking that language, but then the humility and the low ego to be like, I want to lead with an exclamation point because that's how I'm wired. That's how I'm designed. That's great. But now I want to do it in a way that they can hear it and receive it. I mean, that's, that's like influence at its highest, right? Being able to tap into how you're wired, but speak it in a way that other people can hear it effectively is, is, is a really, really great thing to do. Yeah. And then if I can tie some other tools that I think are fantastic, of course, uh, Pat's other book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And the third one that I think just goes so well with this is um, Hungry, Humble, Smart. Well, what's that book? So that's, that's the ideal team player. Ideal team player. I, yeah. I just think that those, those four are books that every team needs to read. They need to use that language. It helps them understand each other. It helps the team come together. It allows them to know how to find new team members and how to talk to them once they find them. So I'm just curious, what do you think about lumping those four books together? So I take the three books that you mentioned, and I, I haven't used Kathleen's, um, not out of not thinking it's great. Just the, the way that I combine all these things, we call the teamwork trifecta. Okay. So we start with the ideal team player, like getting people, getting, getting the right people on the bus based on the values of our company. Now ours are humble, hungry, and people smart, like you said. So we start there. Then we want to figure out how to get them on the right seat on the bus. That's where working genius comes in. So if the best, if they've got our values, they're aligned to our corporate values. Now we want to figure out what brings them the most joy and fulfillment over the long term. So let's get them in a seat where that's their primary function. Then the last kind of the third part of that triangle is the five dysfunctions of a team. So the five dysfunctions of a team, it's kind of the fuel to get the bus moving. So if we get the right people on the bus, get them in the right seat, and then work to overcome the five dysfunctions vulnerability-based trust, healthy conflict, team commitments, peer-to-peer -peer accountability, and collective results. Those are the five. 
if we can get a team operating in those, it feels like that's the best way to get a team to the healthiest place possible. Tim, if somebody wants to take the assessment and uh, get the most out of it, what do you recommend? I think the book is great. The Working Genius book is great. It's a fast read, but you can go to workinggenius.com and take the assessment. And, and we've updated the profile. We're on kind of the profile report. We're on version two or three now. And it's, it's really full. I mean, there's always going to be next steps of being able to bring in certified facilitators or bringing in consultants, or there's always going to be ways to do that. But for $25, you can get a lot out of the assessment by just taking the assessment and you don't need to buy the book to do that. You know, the book is great and Pat unpacks a lot of stuff, but just the assessment on its own will give you a really good head start. And then obviously the people are listening or podcast listeners already. A great podcast is the Working Genius Podcast. They put out regular content. Uh, and they're pretty quick. Really, really good. So you had mentioned you're on at least the second revision of the assessment. I took the very first one. And one of the differences that I noticed was uh, no longer are there qualitative and quantitative questions that are in there. Do you mind speaking on what those are? And I'm just kind of curious why you decided to remove those from the current assessment. Yeah, so we, I, I mean, Thankfully, there are much smarter people handling a lot of that than me. But when you get into validity testing, you want to make sure that your, your assessment is valid. And it's almost like a, a better word that people understand is resilient, like that this test is resilient and can be and can withstand all sorts of different things. Once you pass that, there's only so much that you want to change and tweak because you don't want to mess with the resiliency of it. So there's a whole team that goes into that. I, I'm more of the polish at the end. I'm like, oh, I like this word better. And they're like, oh boy. you know. Um, but I like it to not change the ethos of what we're trying to do, which is joy and fulfillment. And anything in the questions that get in the way of people taking it through that lens, we want to adapt and change. I mean, we've had, I think it's 300,000 people now maybe take the assessment. It's growing rapidly. So I don't remember what the last number was, but we've had lots and lots and lots of people that have taken the assessment and it's, we're getting better and more feedback as we go. So we'll keep updating it. We keep releasing tools. We keep coming up with stuff. You know, we're, uh, the pairings. Oh, it's fantastic. All the tools you have. Well, and the pairings didn't even make it into the book. We released the book and the pairings didn't even make it into the book because that was a tool we hadn't quite finished yet. I've told you this, but I'll tell the Scaling Up Nation this. When you came out with the pairings, I was like, are you kidding? How, how much can we stretch this thing? And it wasn't until I had that experience that I shared earlier that I was like, wow, there, there's really something to this. This is an amazing tool. Absolutely. Yeah. I've, and again, we, we are working. We just released something for people to take. I think it's, don't quote me, I think it's $250. Like if you want to take your team through it, but don't want to fully get certified or don't have, don't want to hire a facilitator, you can buy this little team assessment to help your team take it. So it's like, we're constantly working on it, innovating it, and uh, really want to continue to adapt it to make it better without changing the core of what it is. So that that's a, a fine, it's not just innovate, 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 it's innovate and refine in that process. I'm waiting to see this. I have not seen it yet, but if I saw a resume come across my desk that where they listed the geniuses that brought them joy, 
I just think that that would be amazing. I know it's coming. I haven't seen it yet. Yep. But my question is the reverse of that. Obviously, we want to hire the right person for the job. As somebody that hires people for this team, what advice can you give me to make sure that we're aligning the qualities that we need and assessing without them knowing the language that they're in the right working genius? It's, uh, it's such a good question. And honestly, it does vary by state. There are states, and I can't even rattle them off, but there are states that say you may not take an assessment as a part of an interview process. So always I would check with state regulations to know what you can and can't do. But what everyone can do, if you're the hiring person and you can't, let's just say you're, you can't give the assessment out. Fine. Well, what you can do is you can be strategic about how the interviewers ask questions. So one of the tools that's not out yet that we are coming up with is a hiring guide with the working genius. And the answer isn't going to be take the working genius assessment. The tool is going to be, well, how do we ask questions that highlight if somebody likes tenacity? Hey, do you, have you found yourself in the past loving working through a checklist, making sure that projects are getting done to the standard that's been agreed upon? Oh, do you make a checklist for your personal life? Do you like those kind of questions are going to hit at tenacity? Do you love rallying a group of people? Do you love getting in front and being the inspiration that gets people excited about a new project and getting them moving without having to ask them, did you score high in galvanizing? So just asking questions around each of the six types, I think is a really helpful way that can do it, whether or not you're hamstrung by, hey, we can't offer you this assessment. And then if you can offer the assessment and that, and you've got the green light on that, there's so much there to take it. Just tell them, hey, we want you to take this based off joy and fulfillment. The other side of that question is how do we accurately identify what working genius goes with all the different jobs that we have in our company? Yeah, that to me is a little more art than science. Like you're going to, because every job's a six letter job. So there's not going to be a job that doesn't require all of them. But if you can really unpack, you know, sometimes it's, I, I, I think back to working with a woman that was super talented, super, super talented. And she was an ET and I kept sending her to brainstorming meetings because I liked her so much. And I thought she was so great at her job. And I thought, Oh, look at this. I'm going to give you this opportunity to go to this brainstorming meeting. And she hated it. And we took the working genius and laughed like, Oh my gosh. I've been trying to push her for this promotion that this is, I would be, I would have been promoting her into a job that she would have hated. And she knew it. I didn't know it, but she was smart enough to know it. And once we took this assessment, we were able to unpack that language. So really it's about understanding the people that you have, but also what the team needs. And so understanding what you've already got and then designing a role around them, I think is probably a lot of wisdom. Like, hey, what what are we lacking on this team? You know, what is it this team needs to be able to operate the healthiest way possible? And then how do we interview around that? Tim, if you could only get one point across about the six types of working genius, what would you want that point to be? I think there is too much at stake, even outside of our work, for us to not be aware of what our frustrations and competencies and geniuses are. And I feel like we owe it to the people that we care about most to at least have the awareness of what brings us joy, energy, and fulfillment. Because part of that 
is our choice. We, we can choose to spend more time in the things that bring us joy and fulfillment. And until you get this framework or understand the language, it's, it's a foreign concept a little bit like, well, yeah, of course I want joy. Well, the, the fact that we have a little bit of control over that, or we can kind of step towards that in baby steps, I think is worth doing. So I don't like selling the assessment or trying to get more people to sign up, but for $25, I think you can do yourself and the people that you care about a lot of good by understanding what it is that brings you joy and fulfillment. It has definitely helped out with myself, my team, and my family. So thank you to all the people at the table group that has given us a new language that allows us not only to communicate better about work, but understand work better. Well, it's a joy for me to get to represent it because it's done the same for me. Um, I've, I've loved what I've gotten to get from this tool. So I love going out and helping teams have those same light bulb moments. Well, Tim, a year ago, you made it through round one of the lightning round. So now you are back for round two. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So uh, what would you say your superpower is? I would say it's being aware of how people are feeling around me, no matter how many people are in the room. I would agree to that. I have seen that. That is amazing. Yes, that is that is a correct answer. I will okay, confirm good. that. Glad. I'm nervous. It's the lightning <laughs> round. I get nervous. <laughs> what would you describe as your biggest accomplishment? I, I don't know. The first thing that popped in my head is marriage to my wife for 22 years has been, it hasn't been an accomplishment like it's been hard work, but sure. marriage is hard. And, and it's hard because you're constantly in a really healthy marriage. You're putting the other person first, which is not always instinctual and being married. I mean, she's amazing and uh, is easy to be married to for so many reasons. But I think being married for 22 years and really committing to that isn't the way that culture pushes you sometimes and having four kids and not letting our kids be the most important thing in our life, but really prioritizing our marriage has been, I'd say our, my biggest accomplishment. A friend of mine told me, he told his kids, oh, we love you. We're glad you're here. But remember, you moved in with us. <laughs> I love that. And you're going to move out. <laughs> <laughs> so now you have a magic wand. You can change anything in the world that you want with this magic wand. What would you change? I wish people treated each other the way that they wish they were treated. Mm. I, I know that's kind of simple and maybe a better answer would be more specific, but at the end of the day, life is about relationships and I don't care what we accomplish versus how we treat people. And I just wish people were out there looking to treat other people the way that they wish they were treated. There's no doubt someday in downtown Atlanta, a statue will be erected out of the image of Tim Cooper, what do you want the statue to read? Well, I don't know you as a liar, but now you're lying. Um, <laughs> so when I got my master's, I wrote my thesis and I tried to think up what do I want the title to be and all this stuff. And really, I, if there was a statue, I would have it be the title of what my thesis was for my master's was, it's not about me. I would be mortified if there was a statue because that would go against that notion of the fact that it's not about me. But if 
someone decides to put up a statue, if I can at least control what they're going to say, I would just say it's not about me. Tim, thank you for once again coming on the Scaling Up podcast. I always learn so much when you come to visit. So, so thank you once again. I love it. I love being here and really excited to see what the Working Genius can do for you again and all your listeners. Tim, once again, thank you for coming back to the podcast. And Nation, whenever I go to an event and people are telling me about this podcast, there's always at least one person that tells me that they wish all I did was stay on the technical information. And I hear you. I know all the technical things we do as an industrial water treater. That is important. But I want to bring you all the things that I feel have helped me as a person, as a water treatment company owner, as a leader, be successful within this industry. And today was an example of an episode just like that. Now, Tim works for a company called The Table Group, and The Table Group is owned by a gentleman named Patrick Lencioni. And I've been a fan of his for years. He has written a ton of books that I use as core curriculum as how I lead people. And if you've never heard of Pat, you've probably heard of some of the books that we mentioned on today's podcast, most likely The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. So he describes in his book what not to do as a team, and he has a fable about a team that are doing all the wrong things, and he then educates you on how you can make your team more healthy. And that's what I want to talk about. That's who I want to speak to today. For all the people that wonder, how am I ever going to use this information to become a better water treater? I will urge you to think a little differently that as you become a better, more rounded water treater, you become better yourself. And all the things that you need to become a better you allow you to become a better water treater. Now, one of the things that Pat Lencioni talks about is organizational health, and he talks about how you are smart, and how you are healthy. And I want to define smart how he defines it, and you're instantly going to say, our company does this. These are things that I'm responsible for. So these are things like the strategy of where the company's going, the marketing, the finance, all the technology around that, all of the metrics, all of the reporting, All of the things that allow us to know where we are. All of the tools. This allows us to be very smart with where our company is. Now, some of us, including me, transfer that over to my personal life. How am I gauging how much I'm learning? How am I gauging my relationships? How am I gauging my finances? How am I gauging how I'm doing community work within my community? How am I giving back? All of these things I actually take measure of. So imagine if we had a dashboard for all of these things, we can very easily see if we're driving around and our 
engine light comes on. We don't know what the problem is with that, but we know that there is a problem that we need to investigate. Or maybe our RPMs are a lot higher than what they should be. Maybe that's telling us we're working harder than we need to. Maybe we're getting ready to run out of gas. Maybe we are not going to drive very much longer, and you can apply that to however you like in either your personal or your business, and you can just see that all of these smart tools allow us to navigate our business and our lives a lot easier. But the other part is something that just doesn't get done as well, at least with most of the companies that I'm familiar with, and that is health. How do we define health? And Pat Lencioni says that 95% of companies put all of their attention on SMART, and that means 5% only put it on health, or maybe healthy and smart. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. So let's define what health is. I love his definition about this. So he says healthy companies have minimal politics. Now, I love how he defines politics. And you might say, oh, we don't talk politics in the office, so we're good with that. Well, that's not really what he means. How he defines politics is when you talk differently depending on who's in the room. Wow, that's an amazing definition. And I urge you, whenever you're at home, whenever you're in the office, see if your language changes or others' language change depending on who's in the room. Healthy teams, that should not happen. Also, they have very low confusion. They have clarity around everything. They know the why behind what they're doing. Healthy companies have high morale. They love working there. They feel like they are a member of that team and they are proud to be there. And that makes productivity high. So healthy teams have high productivity and with all of this, that leads to very low turnover. People feel engaged in a team like this, and they don't want to leave it. So this is how he defines a healthy company. So I want you just to think, how healthy is your company? What are some of the things that you can do? And spoiler alert... The working genius is one of those things that you can do. All the things that Tim and I were talking about earlier, that drives directly towards the health of a team. So if you're thinking, how is this helping me become a better water treater? Just think if you engage some of the things that we talked about today, and now your company becomes more healthy. And I know you're already doing smart things, but now you're combining healthy and smart, and that's not only going to help you and everything that you do, that's going to help everybody on your team. And that's what it's all about, folks. 
A few things that I would like to mention today for you to put on your calendar is the Stormwater Summit 2023 taking place June 27th through 29th. This is going to happen in Kansas City, Missouri, and the conference is held by the Water Environmental Federation Stormwater Institute. To learn more about this, we'll have everything on our show events page. The American Society for Healthcare Engineering is having their annual conference on August 6th through 9th in San Antonio, Texas. ASHE's annual convention brings together thousands of healthcare professionals to learn about new developments in the field, network with others, and find solutions to their challenges. We'll have all the information you'll need about this on our show events page. And finally, the Association of Water Technologies annual convention taking place in Grand Rapids, Michigan, October 4th through 6th. We'll have all of this information to learn about these and more on our show notes page. And you can go there by going to scalinguph2o.com. Nation, as always, here is a brand new installment of Periodic Water Table with James. Hello and welcome to the Periodic Water Table with James, where we think and learn about water chemistry drop by drop. Please use your week to search online, ask your colleagues, or even pick up a book to learn more about each week's Periodic Water Table topic. If you do, at the end of the year, you'll be 52 water chemistry smarter. So let's raise the water table of knowledge together and get started. Today's topic is... Polyaluminum chloride, or PAC. Okay, I almost always ask this, but what is polyaluminum chloride used for? What is its chemical formula? Does polyaluminum chloride come in a solid or liquid form? What does it remove? How does it compare to other aluminum compounds? What dosages or ratios are recommended? What could happen if you overfeed polyaluminum chloride? What could be the impact downstream? How does it compare to other aluminum compounds? Remember, knowledge is power, and taking the time to learn more about water chemistry each week will help make you a force to be reckoned with. Be sure to post what you learned to social media and tag it with hashtag watertable23 and hashtag scalinguph2o. I look forward to learning more from you. Thank you, James. Nation, my call to action for you is to think of what is the first step that you need to take on whatever it is that you want to start doing. That's action step number one. Action step number two is I want you to think about your team and think about all the smart things you do and what are the things that you can do? What are the tools you can use like the six types of working genius to make your team more healthy. And of course, the third thing is tune in next week for a brand new episode of Scaling Up H2O. Do you wish you had your own private tutor to help you study for the Certified Water Technologist examination? Well, now you do. So many of you have asked me to help you with the mock CWT examination, and I've done that very thing. If you go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep, again, that's scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep, 
you will see that I've created a course and I tell you everything I know about each one of those mock questions. It's my hope that that helps give you the confidence you need to sign up to get certified today.